Turn with me in your Bibles to our scripture reading. It is Galatians chapter 3. Starting in verse 26, reading through verse 29. This is the word of the Lord. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Amen. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we do thank you and praise you that uh, we are your children by your grace. We rejoice in that uh, wonderful truth that you have adopted us into your holy family. We ask, Lord, as we uh, delve into this doctrine and others in the next few minutes, we ask that you would bless our time in your word. We ask that you would grant me uh, wisdom and grace to preach uh, what is uh, accurate uh, with respect to the meaning of your word. Please forbid that I should say anything that is contrary uh, to your word. And would you please bless all of us and honor yourself in your, uh, in this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> all right, children. Eyes up here, children. Okay. Um, I got a question for you. Um, When you were born, do you think your parents, right after you were born, the moment uh, you came into the world, do you think your parents looked at you and went, hmm, I'm not sure I want that kid? Do you think your parents did that, any of you? Just shake your head like this. (laughs) <laughs> Mo, Mo was shaking his head up and down. No. Um, yeah, your, your parents, uh, the moment you were born, loved you and accepted you just the way you were. Right? Now, so, so it didn't matter if you were a boy or a girl. Your mommy and daddy loved you right away because you were their child, Right? Yeah. Um, It didn't matter whether you were a boy or a girl. It didn't matter what your eye color was, if it was brown or hazel or blue. They weren't going to say to, you know, say you if you had a a brown eyes, oh, no, 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 I only want blue-eyed children. No, I'm only going to have blue-eyed children. Or I'm only going to have brown-eyed children. I don't like the blue eyes. They didn't say that to you. They didn't look to see what your hair color was to make a decision whether or not they were going to love you or accept you, right? Now, I... You know, 
if you had been born with um, four fingers on one hand, some children are born that way, by the way, or maybe born without an arm. There are children that are born that way. If you had been born without an arm or with four fingers or, or six toes, do you think your mom and dad would have said, no, 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 I don't want that child? No. They would not have said that. They would have loved you just the way God gave you to them, the way you were, right? You all need to be very thankful that you have loving parents. Sadly, uh, there are not, uh, parents are not always loving. Uh, but uh, Christian parents, the folks in this room, are, are wonderful parents. And you need to give thanks regularly to God for the parents that you have. But it is true that they accepted you just the way you are, regardless of what you look like. Or regardless of whether or not you're a boy or a girl, or as I already said, those other things as well. And that's important because that's the way God deals with us as well. He accepts us just the way we are, regardless of the way we look, of regardless of whether we are a boy or a girl, regardless of whether we're black, white, or red, or yellow-skinned. Regardless, God accepts us. doesn't make any difference if we're born into a rich family or a poor family. None of that matters to God. And that's one of the very important lessons that uh, we're going to look at more closely in this passage. Not the only one, but one of the important ones that this passage uh, teaches. So just by way of reminder, uh, in terms of the background of this uh, passage and this book, um, to understand what Paul is uh, saying in this passage, we need to recall something about the background, uh, about what was going on in Galatia at the time of the writing of this letter by the Apostle. To begin with, you need to remember that the churches in the region, it was probably written, it was written to a region, not just a singular church, the churches of Galatia. Uh, and the churches in this region were a mixture of people of Jewish background and people of Gentile background, uh, who had, who had become converts to Christianity, who had believed that Jesus was their only hope of being forgiven by God, and they put their trust in Jesus alone to save them. Um, now there were certain preachers <clears throat> who had recently been making the rounds in Galatia. Uh, they were Jews, they were born Jews, but they were Jews who were claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ. Um, they claimed that the gospel message that Paul had preached uh, on a prior occasion when he was in Galatia, they claimed that the, that message that Paul was preaching, this is the Judaizing uh, preachers now, um, who claimed to be Christians, they said Paul's message uh, that he claimed uh, that he had proclaimed in Galatia was somewhat deficient. There was a problem with it. They, Paul didn't get it quite right. Paul made some mistakes. Uh, and they claimed that their version of the gospel was more accurate than Paul's was. Um, and more accurately represented, more to the point, what the twelve apostles, remember Paul is the thirteenth apostle, uh, the Judaizers were apparently claiming, well, we have, a, we have an inside track on what the twelve, the original twelve, said, and Paul made a few mistakes, so we're going to help clear up his mistakes, and you all need to believe what we are teaching you. That's essentially what was going on there. And what was it that they 
were teaching. These Jews who claimed to be uh, followers of Jesus, and who were claiming also to be teachers uh, with a message from Jerusalem and uh, the apostles in Jerusalem. What was it they were teaching? Well, what they taught was this, that in order for a man to be truly right with God, to be um, truly close to God, that person had to agree to observe the Mosaic law, the law that Moses set forth in Mount Sinai. And by the way, that law is not just the Ten Commandments. That was what was inscribed on the tablets. But it was also all the other laws, the ceremonial laws that follow in the next, uh, in the latter part of Exodus and, uh, and, uh, uh, Leviticus and Numbers and so on and Deuteronomy. Uh, all those laws that were made in there, the, uh, ceremonial laws and the civil laws as well, by the way. Uh, and these People, these false teachers were essentially saying, in order to be really right with God, you have to observe all of the law that Moses set forth, not just its moral elements, but also its ceremonial and civil. In other words, what they were saying is, in order, in order to be a first-rate or, or maybe even a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, uh, and to guarantee your right standing with God, you had to become an observant Jew. All good Christians, they would have said, are observant Jews. That was their message, in effect. Now, it doesn't... Remember, Jews and Gentiles in these churches in Galatia, mixed congregations. It doesn't take much to foresee the kind of adverse effects that this teaching of these Judaizing teachers would have had on an ethnically mixed congregation like those that were in Galatia. <clears throat> the Jewish Christians, Christians of Jewish background, uh, would have almost certainly, at least some of them, begin to look down upon the Gentile brothers and sisters in their midst and see them as somewhat inferior to themselves. If, if they believed and bought into what the Judaizing teachers were saying about you got to be a good Jew to be a good Christian. The Gentile Christians, on the other hand, would almost certainly, some of them, if not many of them, begin to see themselves as second-rate Christians, at best, and still unforgiven pagans, at worst. A notion that um, that would have arguably shipwrecked the faith of many of them. Because they didn't believe they were, if they believed what these Judaizers teachers were teaching, they would go, God, God still, God doesn't love me. I'm not forgiven. I'm not right with God. Because I'm a Gentile. And I'm not acting like a Jew, or like these people want me to act. So Paul writes this letter, <clears throat> and this passage in particular, that we're reading today, in order to set the record straight once and for all. In verses 26 through 29, our passage that the text is, uh, the sermon is based on, Paul says that there are three things that are true of all people who are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their uh, right standing before God uh, and for their entrance into heaven. And these uh, three are true no matter who you are, what your background is, what your nationality is, what your gender is, what your social status is, what, how much you make is, what your skin color is, it doesn't matter. Here are the three truths, which are the three points. 
First, if you are in Christ, and this is true of all of us, by the way, not just in uh, Paul's day, but in our day as well. If you are in Christ, then you are a child of God, no matter who or what you are. Secondly, if you are a child, uh, or if you are in Christ, then you are clothed with Christ, no matter who or what you are. And then finally, if you are in Christ, then you are an heir according to promise, no matter who or what you are. So let's look in these, at these points in succession. First of all, if you are in Christ, then you are a child of God no matter who you are or what circumstances uh, surround your existence and your life. This was a truth that, that they were children of God. This was a truth that the Gentile Christians in Galatia, in the churches in Galatia, very much needed to hear. And the Jewish Christians did too, of course. Uh, but the, especially the Gentile Christians, in light of the lies that they had were being told by these um, these false teachers who uh, were Jews claiming to be Christians but who weren't. You see, the Jews had always thought of themselves, uh, this is in, in centuries prior to uh, and including Paul's day, the Jews had thought of themselves as God's only uh, true children. The vast majority of Jews had, they thought, well, we are, we are special in God's sight simply because we are descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because we have their blood coursing through our veins, we are the chosen people for that reason. That's what makes us special in God's sight, and so we are the only true children because we are descendants of the patriarchs. And that is a belief that the Judaizers, uh, these Judaizing teachers, undoubtedly shared with the average Jew of uh, Paul's day. So, an obvious implication of the Judaizers' teaching that... Uh, uh, the Gentile Christians, the, the Gentile Christians needed to become Jews in order to be truly right with God. The, the, the an obvious implication of, was, of that is that Gentile believers who hadn't submitted to Jewish laws and customs, such as being circumcised and avoiding certain foods and that sort of thing, Gentile believers weren't true children of God. At best, they were spiritual orphans, or at worst, still sons of the devil if what the Judaizers were teaching was right. This would be a very distressing thought. If you're already in the church, you're already participating in the the covenant community, uh, you've been thinking that you were a brother or a sister in Christ with your Jewish brethren who were in the same congregation, and then all of a sudden you're taught uh, that, no, 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 that's not true, you are not. You're not actually uh, genuinely a part of this family. You're not um, a... uh, a true or a, a first-rate follower of Jesus. Um, so it undoubtedly came as a great relief to many Gentile believers in Galatia who heard Paul uh, or uh, heard what Paul had to say in this letter. <clears throat> when specifically, verse twenty-six. Excuse me. <clears throat> Verse 26, we read, For you are all, notice the all there, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The Gentile 
believers who were, had faith in Christ Jesus were just as much children of God as their Jewish counterparts were. They had been adopted <clears throat> by God into his holy family um, just as truly as the Jewish Christians had been adopted by God into God's family. <clears throat> and the sole basis, the sole basis upon which God had made any of them, Jew or Gentile, his children, was the fact that they had been spiritually united to Jesus Christ by faith, by trusting in him alone to make them right with God and make them his children and make them heaven bound. And the same is true of you folks. God has adopted you. God has adopted me. God has adopted uh, all those who are trusting in Jesus into, and him alone into his spiritual family. We are all a family, the family of God, the body of Christ. <clears throat> and it's on the basis of our trust in Jesus alone that we are in that family and nothing else. We no longer relate to him now as Christians, as we once did, as guilty criminals before an angry judge. Now we relate to God, the triune God, as beloved children of his And this is a truth that we, I suspect that many of us don't meditate on enough. That we are children of God. <clears throat> do, you, do you rejoice in the fact that you are a child of God? Think about that. You're a child, a son, or a daughter of the God of the universe. <clears throat> Talk about a... Um, Talk about a monumental truth that that God, the infinite God, who is the fount of all being, considers you his precious child. <clears throat> this is true regardless of who you are or what you are like in terms of your background. Verse 28 makes this point. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't make any difference, in other words, what your race is, what your nationality is, if you have an accent, if you were born in... Um, the Congo, or Mongolia, or Sweden. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have brown skin. It doesn't matter if you have black skin, if you have white skin, or some other shade. It just doesn't matter. We all belong, if we're Christians, trusting in Jesus, we are all belong in the same family, and we need to treat each other that way. This is the way we respond to racism in the church, with this teaching. Not by treating some groups in the church because of their skin color in a different way uh, than other people in that same church. 
This is the, this is one of the problems with what's going on in the church and the PCA as well. Critical race theory is seeping into our midst. And it is evil. It is Marxist theology. That is not the antidote to racism. Racism is a flat out sin. It's evil and if you have a racist bone in your body, you need to repent of it. But the, but the issue, the, the way to treat it is not to elevate one group above another to uh, to coddle one group of people and treat them differently and, oh, they're fragile, we don't want to hurt them be, or say anything or we need to give them special privileges. No, that is not the way to handle racism in the church. We are all the same. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to treat each other like brothers and sisters in Christ regardless of how the, uh, our brother or our sister looks. Now, the passage I just read for you, verse 28. Some believe, erroneously, that Paul, by making the statement that he makes there, there's neither Jew nor Greek, Greek there means Gentile, of course, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, that there's neither male nor female. There are some people that believe that Paul here is erasing all racial, social, and gender distinctions by saying what he says there in that verse. All those distinctions need to be erased. We can't acknowledge any of these distinctions, is what they want to say. Those who believe that women ought to be elders or pastors will often point to this verse to make their point. Oh, no, 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 that stuff doesn't apply anymore. See? There's no longer male or female. Doesn't make any, we need to forget about those differences. They don't exist. Of course, the gender-bending community would also want to point to this passage as well. This is not at all what Paul is saying by saying what he says here. He is not doing away with distinctions of race, of culture, of rank, of gender. He's not doing away with any of these distinctions. He is simply saying that when it comes to our standing before God... We are all in the same boat. That's the point. When it comes, it's our standing before God that is the point that he is making by saying, there's no, there are no distinctions. And there are no distinctions before God. We are all his children, equally precious in his sight, regardless of our race, nationality, gender, eye color, whatever. Age doesn't make any difference. God loves us all, infinitely. And since we are all members of the same spiritual family, we are all equally beloved, and we are all equally beloved by God, we ought to act as if this were the case. As I said, racism is a sin. It's a grave sin. Um, it's self-righteousness is what it is. Thinking you're better than somebody else simply because of something that is, inheres in you. So too is uh, um, um, male chauvinism. That's a sin. Now, I'm, by saying that, I'm not saying that uh, there aren't men ought to treat ought not to treat women differently than they treat themselves. That's not true. But but the uh, but the sinful male chauvinism uh, is is erroneous. 
Any, anything where we are making ourselves better than somebody else because of something that is inherent in our nature in the way God has made us or in our background and saying, I'm better than you, this person, because I'm this way and they're that way, that is evil. And that must be repented of if you struggle with um, any of those um, sins. We must not allow there to be barriers between us, whether of race, culture, or class. We need to relate to one another as brothers and sisters. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And that one purpose, I um, I'm, think I can safely say, is to glorify God. And that we are all to do just that. Also in 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 21, uh, we read this, which uh, further affirms the point. Um, and this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Brother in Christ, in other words. Regardless of how our brother looks or his background um, or whatever. Secondly, <clears throat> so first of all, if you are uh, in Christ, then you are a child of God, no matter uh, your background. Secondly, if you are in Christ, then you are clothed with Christ, no matter who or what you are. Verse 27 makes this point. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Paul here is not by saying clothe yourselves with Christ. He is not simply referring to the imputation of Christ's righteousness that that uh, that uh, Abraham received when he believed God, the promises of God. It's not simply just that righteousness uh, that he's speaking of when he speaks of being clothed with Christ. It means participating in everything uh, that Christ purchased through his life, death, and resurrection. All the all the benefits that flow from the covenant uh, are are part and parcel of what it means to be clothed with Christ, and comes with being clothed with Christ. We are participating as Christians in his perfect obedience uh, to God's law. His righteousness has been imputed to us. But also, we are uh, in his uh, sacrifice of himself to satisfy divine justice. We receive that. We receive. Uh, we participate in Jesus' triumph over the powers of death and hell. We participate even in his reign right now, his messianic reign, uh, in a mystical way that I don't understand, but Paul affirms it in Ephesians chapter 2. And elsewhere. And all the benefits of the covenant are ours through our union with Christ. And this is another truth, by the way, that uh, we are clothed with Christ that the Gentile Christians in Galatia needed to hear. Because what the Judaizers had been saying undoubtedly created serious doubt in their minds, uh, the Gentiles' minds, as to whether or not salvation, that the salvation that Jesus purchased, uh, as a result of his life, death, and resurrection, actually belong to them. And Paul's point is, yes, it does belong to you. 
Paul assures them in verse 27 that it belongs to them. And again, let me read that. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Baptism here is a is looked at as a whole. Uh, we've made this point before uh, uh, from the pulpit, but baptism is seen as a uh, uh, both the 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 act of water baptism and the spiritual transformation, the spiritual baptism, uh, are are presented as a singular unit, if you will, in Scripture. They go together. Now, that is not saying that the application of water saves you. But the point is, there is a there is such a close relationship between the spiritual baptism and the ritual of baptism that they are presented as coming together. They are not to be divided. They are assumed to be together. Uh, when it's spoken of in Scripture. And again, that's not saying that w- the water saves you. That's not the point. But they are presented as a singular um, concept, um, not to be separated um, in our minds. So he's, again, he's saying, if, if this is true, if you are... Uh, in Christ, if you have been cleansed of your sins, if you have received the sign of the cleansing of your sins and the seal of it in the, in the actual ritual of baptism, you are clothed with Christ. It's a done deal. That's true regardless of who you are or what your background is or how much you make or don't make or whether or not you are disabled or not. It just... Those issues don't matter to God. Our only comfort in life and in death is that we have lived, died, rose again, and ascended with Christ through our union with him. That's all that matters in life and in death. The rest of it is just noise. It's a little bit simplified, but you get the point. Thirdly, and lastly, uh, if you are in Christ, uh, not only are you um, a child of God, and not only are you clothed with Christ, but you are an heir according to promise. And this, that, regardless of your uh, background, regardless of your race, regardless of your gender. Verse 29 makes this point. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Remember, he was, he was, uh, he was justified on the basis of God's promise to him that his seed, that he had many seeds, and he, many children, and he'd have one particular Seed, one particular descendant, who is going to be his salvation. Now, that was before Jesus came in time and space. Jesus has already come for us. Uh, but we are promised that if we rest in the one who came 2,000 years ago, that we too are, in, we too are heirs of the heavenly Canaan, which is what the original uh, Canaan was pointing to, was heaven. And he is, again, referring here when he says, you are Abraham's offspring. He's saying, uh, you know, Abraham received his spiritual inheritance as a result of trusting in God and God's promises with respecting how he was to be saved and how he was to inherit those promises. And the same thing applies to you and to me. 
anyone who imitates Abraham's faith in God's promised mediator, anyone who imitates Abraham's faith is a spiritual child of Abraham. Paul says this over in Romans 9. Makes the same point. It's the spiritual, the, those who are truly trusting were the Israel within Israel. They still are the Israel within Israel. And Paul is telling the Galatians here in verse 29 that that same divine promise applies to them to whom he's writing in the first century and, of course, to us. If we are trusting in Jesus alone to save us, just as Abraham did, he didn't know his name was Jesus of Nazareth, but he knew he was the Messiah. If we are doing that, that we too are heirs of the same inheritance, which Abraham was an heir of. Again, the the land, the physical land at the eastern end of the Mediterranean that his descendants were to occupy, uh, that physical land was not the actual inheritance ultimately it was it was the heavenly canaan it was life with god forevermore that was being promised through the type that was the land and abraham inherited that spiritual inheritance when he passed out of this world remember he never had he never had an an inch that he actually owned oh excuse me he did he bought that little plot for uh, for uh, uh, Sarah, thank you for Sarah. But the promise was the whole land, the whole place, and the place represented heaven. And the Gentile believers in Galatia needed to know we we have acclaimed Abraham as much as our Jewish brethren over here do. Or amongst us, I shouldn't say over here. Amongst us. Because they were, they were, again, they were in the same churches. And Paul is saying, you have just as much a claim to call Abraham your father as the, as the circumcised Jew does in the pew next to you. You, you belong to Abraham. You, you are of, a, uh, of his seed. You're one of the many descendants. It doesn't matter that you are, you know, uh, a Phoenician. Or a... Egyptian. Doesn't matter. You're a descendant of Abraham because you imitated Abraham's faith. And that's true today. You are children of Abraham. I am a child of Abraham because I'm believing the same way Abraham did in the same Savior that Abraham trusted in. And that's where our peace is. That's where our comfort is. That's where our well-being is. We are in Christ. We are God's children. We have clothed ourselves with all the benefits of the covenant in Christ. Uh, he He has purchased it all for us and accomplished it all for us. And we are heirs of heaven. We are certainly going to be there. Melita's there now. She was eager to go. (laughs) We should be eager to go. 
Now, we need, we've, got, we've got work to do here, so we don't, we don't need to speed the process up. But we do need to long for heaven. It's ours. It's yours. If you're trusting in Jesus of the Bible alone to make you right with God. Are you? Are you? I ask this every single time practically I'm up here. But it's very important because a lot of people can hear without hearing. You children, you hear me say this regularly, but maybe there's a child in here, I don't know, but maybe one of you has not actually trusted Jesus as your only hope of being forgiven. You're a sinner and you deserve hell just like Pastor Mark does. You need Christ You need to be trusting in Jesus just as much as Pastor Mark does. Are you? And is there evidence that you are? You know there are children who claim to be Christians, but who uh, are bullies, who uh, uh, hurt other people, say nasty things about other children, are disrespectful to their parents, but they'll say, oh yeah, I go to such and such a church. Oh, I'm a Christian. The truth is they're probably not. He's probably not, or she's probably not. There has to be evidence. The, the evidence, the obedience, the desire to be obedient to God doesn't make us Christians. But it's the evidence that we're Christians. It's the evidence that we're forgiven. So is there evidence in your life, children, that God has done a work in your life and saved you? Maybe you might want to talk to your mom and dad about that and ask, do you see evidence of Jesus in my life? There needs to be evidence. Otherwise, you need to go back to the drawing board and say, God, have mercy on me. I really have never trusted Jesus, and would you please save me? So, God's grace is infinite to those who will lay hold of the only conduit of God's grace, Jesus Christ. Lay hold of Christ if you have not done so. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the wonderful truths that are set forth here. Lord, to think that we should be called sons and daughters of God, that you, who is everywhere in the cosmos, hundreds of thousands, millions of galaxies with billions of stars in them, maybe billions of galaxies, and you're everywhere. And yet you know each one of us personally and love us as a father, the very best father, uh, far better than the best father on earth can love his son or daughter. Thank you so much. Thank you that we are going to be with you forevermore. Not because of anything we have done, but because Jesus purchased our eternal destiny our eternal inheritance for us. Lord, if there's anyone listening to my voice uh, here in this room or remotely who has never trusted in the God-man, the only source of salvation, the only hope of escaping eternal torment in hell, would you please give such a one a new heart that he might believe on Christ alone now. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Receive now God's blessing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Amen.